You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Brave new radio. We got managers, producers, record labels, concert promoters galore. Wednesday at 8 p.m. Yalla, 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 you fire, I never fall. I am a rising tide, I rise against the more. Yalla, 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 I am a rising tide, don't let the olive branch fall. Yalla, yalla, on me, brothers and sisters, on me. Keep our composure, you'll see, ready like soldiers. Smile like you're happy, be up the Monday. Two. Music biz, (laughs) yeah, 101 and more on Brave New Radio on the campus of the University of William Patterson. But you're not on the campus, you're probably listening to this podcast on SoundClouds or iTunes. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp, along with Dr. Esteban Marconi Emeritus. That's right. He is emeritus because he is almost done. Today is, as we record this, the night. Oh, today is Juneteenth. And 11 days from now is Marconi's last day as a official member of the William Patterson University faculty. Are you getting nervous? Right. Yes, sir. There we go. Checks coming in till July 15th. See? So he's, he's going to be fine. Do not worry. He will not, he will not go poor. We uh, have Tyler Buchanan with us today. He is our student co-host. This is part of a class that we do. We usually go to Nashville. This year, Nashville's coming to us because of COVID. So Tyler was able to get our guest, Charlie Davis, who is the VP Creative Sync Commercials at BMG. We're going to talk to Charlie in a bit. Before we do that, we should remind you, make sure you go to musicbiz101wp.com and sign up for that newsletter. Go to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at musicbiz101wp. Sign up for... Well, you already told you to stop. So follow us there. We told you where to go. And Marconi, should we give thanks? We better. Let us give thanks then to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and Fight Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Readers Down, St. Vincent, and Kiss. There's only one place for you to go for your band's business management or solo artist. If you're a solo artist, you can go too. You don't have to be in a band. Go to VB. CPA.com when you're ready. And we want to give thanks to Christine. Oi. They, a retiring wealth manager at the forefront. Christine has helped millions of professionals at the University of William Patterson at universities around the world and also people who don't have anything to do with education. Manage their investments, plan out for the retirement when you're thinking of building your financial future. Someone like you should think about the forefront group and go to Christine. Boy, at forefront.com. Give it a try. Yes. And uh, we should finally mention that the University of William Patterson's music business program was just ranked 
one of the best in the United States of America. And I, I'm going to throw, throw out Canada and uh, New Mexico and say it's a whole former NAFTA thing that we are one of the best of the NAFTA nations, formerly NAFTA. I don't, what's it called now? Anybody remember? Thanks to you. Yes, thanks, thanks to me. Um, there is NAFTA, was NAFTA, and uh, it's wow. one of the best thanks ever. We have the distinction. Yes, yes. I, and speak, speaking of stink, um, we appreciate having Charlie Davis on. Charlie. Hey. Yes. How are you, Charlie? Hey, everybody. Hi. Charlie, we've met you before. I don't know if you recall. Oh, we I do. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Uh, that was back when you were allowed to go to offices and see, see each other yeah. in person. It was back in November. In fact, Tyler, who's doing uh, going to lead our interview, was was with us in the room. Back then, though, you were merely a senior director, I believe, and now uh, I think weeks after you became a vice president. So, is it because of our visit and the way you spoke to us that you impressed the, the brass, and that's why you're such a big? Oh, I, I'm sure. I'm sure there's there's a correlation there. I, I, absolutely. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that you guys came through, and then all of a yeah. sudden, VP. Yeah. I'll credit to you guys. <laughs> Put that on your LinkedIn, please. Appreciate right, I, I will, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so thanks for being here. Tyler, say hello and then take over. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, um, yeah I remember we went back to BMG in November, and I, it was just really great for me because I didn't really even know that Sync. I mean, I knew it existed, but I didn't know that your job existed. I didn't know that there was any distinction between the business, you know, the, the administrative licensing team and a creative team. So when I heard about your job and you right. just described it as listening and consuming all this music and creating playlists, I just, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I don't know, I just thought that I would be really happy diving into that world. Yeah, cool. And, and yeah, uh, I would say, you know, the creative element in the licensing administrative element. I mean, those are, those are equally important. And, uh, you know, I know different music publishers and different labels, uh, sometimes they split things up differently, where sometimes the, the person who's doing the creative is also doing the clearance and uh, all the admin as well. I think in our case, splitting it up seems to be really effective. Uh, just in terms of the, the volume that we do, just I think based on the size of the catalog and, you know, the amount of new releases and, and just the fact that there's, you know, literally, literally millions of, of songs to keep track of, um, having a department whose sole focus is that I, I think really helps us, you know, service, service the, the creative, uh, you know, much, much better. But I, I'll say too, uh, you know, as far as my background, uh, you know, I had a stint at EMI uh, for a little bit back, back when EMI existed, uh, you know, almost exclusively doing clearance and, and negotiating uh, and those things. So, I, you know, I think it's really important no matter what side you're on. If you're on the, the admin licensing side, I think it, it really helps if you have a good understanding of the music and the creative and, and vice versa, uh, being on the creative side and being... Uh, you know, the general kind of ins and outs of, of licensing and administration and even understanding, you know, uh, fee structure as far as certain terms and, you know, will this work? How much more expensive will it make the song and those types of things? Because um, then that helps hone in, you know, the creative and knowing what songs to pitch and knowing not to pitch, uh, 
you know, an Aerosmith or ACDC song, you know, they have a tiny budget and, and those types of things. Right. Totally. Um, speaking of pitching, I mean, we, we talked to, um, we talked to downtown yesterday and they seem to have it split sort of just straight down the middle into admin. And then the other side is all creative and sort of like an A&R. They do a lot of pitching. So would you say that you do more consumption and playlist curation or do you do a lot of pitching as well? Oh yeah, that's a good question. So I would say it leans more towards pitching for sure. And I would say, you know, on, on a given day, our, our team in New York that focuses on, you know, brands and advertisements, you know, on any given day, we're fielding maybe around, you know, anywhere between five and 15 searches a day. Um, and, you know, with those, you know, the turnaround's usually pretty quick. So in any given day, you have all these mini deadlines where you have this search, this is due at 1230, this one's due at two, this one's due at five. So it really makes your day go by very fast because you have all these micro deadlines that it's really uh, just a matter of getting these ideas out and, you know, music supervisors and ad agencies especially have a pretty fast turnaround time. Um, so I would say that, that takes up most of the day. Uh, and then any, any downtime we have, uh, I think, goes towards either curation or also towards uh, research and, and new business and, and outreach. And that was a, a big, big part of my background. And one of the, the things that I've always valued in, in highest regard is really, you know, in our end, the creative, it, ultimately it's, it's sales. Um, so you're really, you know, utilizing all, all those skills as far as reaching out to clients, knowing what their needs are, knowing how to engage with them, uh, knowing how to, you know, follow up and, make yourself useful and, and stay on their mind and all those things. And then, you know, having good music and a good curated playlist is, you know, just, just icing on the cake. I imagine that you do a lot of, like you, you do a lot of sales because it's commercials. So it's like, you know, it's like smaller gigs, I guess, as opposed to like a big film thing. So you probably have a large amount that you do. Could you just talk a little bit about that? Like, what are some specifics that come with commercials as opposed to film or TV licensing? Something that you I, like about them more, maybe? Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's some great things about music and the commercial world that make it so unique. What, one of the things that I really love is, you know, if you're thinking about film and television, so much of it is, you know, L.A.-based or New York, L.A. That agency is, I, I mean, it's, it's pretty wonderful. Well, you know, you could drop a pin in any major city in the U.S. and, you know, you, you'll find a couple ad agencies there. And, you know, it's not just New York and L.A., but, you know, Chicago, Detroit, Boston, Miami, Toronto. There's so many great hubs and, and great, you know, cities that we're able to engage with. Um, and you're right, since the productions are smaller, uh, you know, it tends to be, you know, just higher volume. If, if, you know, you're making a film that can, that can take, you know, months, it can take years to make a film. Commercials, you know, it's a really fast turnaround time. And I think right now, you know, in, in the era of COVID, that's pretty significant as well. Um, because commercials in our world have been pretty steady. Um, you know, if you're filming a commercial, you're a little more nimble. It's not a giant production crew. You know, you can turn around something a little more quickly. Um, and, you know, with commercials too, I, I, you have the benefit 
Uh, we've seen a lot of it recently is, okay, you have a commercial shoot planned, COVID happens, you can't film it, but okay, maybe you use, you know, CGI or graphics, maybe you use, you know, stock footage. That, that's been a big thing too. It's just agencies and creatives using existing footage and just piecing it together. Uh, and in those cases, you know, where the visuals are theoretically less compelling because you're using maybe existing footage or CGI, you know, I like to see it as an opportunity for the music to, you know, do even more heavy lifting and really and be, be the hero in, in the spot. Do you think that like you see a lot of jobs like that coming in, like a lot where the commercial is heavily music, like you see, you know, like an entire song or not, not an entire full three and a half minutes, but like the entire commercial is just the song and as opposed to like a short clip or something? Um, but yeah, so I mean, normally, uh, you know, if we're working on a commercial, uh, it can be, you know, a 15 second spot, a 30 second spot or a 60. Those are kind of generally kind of the, the three ranges. And, you know, there could be a long 60 second version that maybe it only exists online. And maybe the version you see on TV is, you know, the 15 second cut down or, or something like that. Um, and, you know, the songs get edited accordingly to, to fit. But in so many cases, too, you know, it really depends on if the music or, or the song is, is really driving the creative in the spot. Uh, you know, we, we love it when it does. Uh, but I think there's a lot of cases, too, where music maybe doesn't play a role. Maybe it's dialogue driven um, or just the music doesn't factor into the story. So it, in a lot of those cases, you know, music kind of becomes an afterthought. And as far as ad agencies and producers, you know, having to budget all their production costs, a lot of times we'll see music kind of being the last line item after they paid for everything else. So, uh, you know, I, I think if music's not a priority, usually that's reflected in the budget and usually we'll see lower budgets, but it, it is great when, you know, a song really does drive the spot or the campaign and then, in those cases, you know, the agencies and the creatives will set aside the proper budget, you know, to have to have the right song. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think about, I know th this wasn't one that we worked on, but there was a recent Facebook spot with Lizzo covering a Beatles song, covering All Together Now. And clearly in, in that instance, and I, I remember working on that one with the music supervisor, uh, and they just said, all right, you know, we want a really big song, Money's not an issue. We'll have all the money we need. We just need, you know, the biggest song possible. So when people reach out uh, with, you know, unlimited music budgets, that, that's always really nice. But, uh, you know, it doesn't happen all the time. I would say that's, that's more the, the exception than the rule. Gotcha. How is it working with music supervisors? I'm curious of, like, are there any, like, common problems that come up or, like, conveniences? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a really good and, and thoughtful question. Uh, well, and, and I should mention too, in in uh, the ad industry world, and, and what I like about the ad industry world is, you know, there's so many great music supervisors, uh, but because there's so many ad agencies and so many companies that, that do this work, uh, not all of them, you know, it, I would say it's, it's rare for an agency to have an in-house music department. Usually, some of the bigger agencies have those. Uh, so either, you know, it can be a music supervisor or sometimes maybe it's just a creative uh, or, or a copywriter or, or a producer. And maybe, maybe they, they like music and they like to get involved. Um, 
or sometimes agencies, if, if it's not an in-house music department, you know, they'll bring in freelance music supervisors and it's great to work with them as well. And, uh, you know, as far as engaging with them, we always try to be really mindful because, you know, just every day they're literally getting hundreds, if not thousands of songs emailed to them uh, from, you know, all types of labels, publishers, artist managers, uh, you know, all across the board. So I'm always very mindful of, of just their, their time and, um, you know, just, just being sensitive to that and, you know, not, not spamming them or, you know, if we're doing outreach, really composing a thoughtful, personalized email and not, you know, just blasting things out. And on, on the curation side, you know, going back to being mindful of their time, you know, rather than sending them 50 songs that, that might work for something they're working on, you know, we like to really pare it down and really spend that extra time finding like maybe those five songs that are perfect. And then that way too, you know, you're not, you're not wasting their time sending them, you know, a bunch of stuff that that's not the right fit or stuff that they don't need. Um, and that's actually another challenge too, that we see a lot, uh, especially in the record label world, because that's so release driven and, and timeline driven and wanting to land syncs that uh, coincide with, you know, this single going to radio at this time. And, um, so ultimately, you know, at, at labels and publishers, we do face pressure as far as, okay, well, this new song, this new single, this is a priority. But at the same time, you know, you really just want to send the stuff that works uh, to music supervisors. You, you don't want to send them stuff that's off brief and stuff they don't need. So, I mean, my philosophy with, with that has always been like, you know, best, best song wins. Um, at the end of the day, you know, uh, for you know an ad or tv show or whatever they really want the song that works the best with the scene and and what drives the narrative and the creative and you know whether or not that syncs up with a, a radio single you know if it does great but i think for music supervisors they really just want to create the best piece of content possible so so personally for me i, I always try to be mindful of that and not um you know, when things are priorities, we still try to service them when we can. But if it's not the right fit for something, you know, I, I won't send it. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather hang on to it and wait for the opportunity when it is the right fit for something. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're just spamming people. Charlie, are you representing masters and publishing? Does it depend upon, depend upon the deal? Because BMG has a big publishing catalog. You also have masters. So when are you doing which? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. So, so it's both. And that's actually one of the amazing things about BMG is being able to do both sides. And, you know, that's, I think, why we have a, a sizable sync team that, that we have in order, in order to, to service both, both ends. But the pitching people do service both. Uh, the publishing catalog is, you know, substantially larger than the recorded catalog. So, you know, in terms of pitching and you know, some of those big old iconic songs that always do well for us, you know, if it's something like an Aerosmith song or ACDC, you know, those come from the publishing side. The label side is, is more of a recent endeavor uh, with BMG. And, and I, I think moving forward, it, it's really taken kind of the priority status. And that, you know, tends to focus on new releases of, you know, known artists, some up and coming artists as well. 
the occasional reissue. Uh, recently, we did uh, some cool reissues of uh, some Keith Richards solo albums and, and things like that. But yeah, we normally see more of a sense of urgency and more priority status for label releases, which normally in, in the industry, I, I think that's usually the case. You know, publishers are often, you know, about serving the song where when it's the label side, it's, it's, it's yes, it's the song, but it's also kind of the overall product and, uh, you know, the, the timeline of the product and, you know, working within a specific, a more specific window of time. Will you, um, okay, will you uh, negotiate ahead of time if a song in the future gets tied to the brand so that it's used over and over again in different uh, advertisements? Yeah, so normally, um, you know, if, and so there's either this scenario where, you know, an ad agency brand will come to us and they have a particular mind other times you know doing pitching and you know just services and sending ideas playlists but in either case you know before they use anything lay out the terms and, and the usage and a lot of times and actually I mean especially now because just no one <laughs> knows what the hell's going on and and how much they're you know in quarantine for so when they do find long they'll come to us with you know, the scenarios of how they want to use it. But a lot of times they'll include, you know, a bunch of different scenarios uh, just because, you know, there's such uncertainty and no one really knows how long a spot may run for. So, um, you know, someone may come to us, they say, okay, we love this song. We want to use it in this campaign for these territories. Can, can we see pricing for, you know, a one-month option, a six-month option, you know, a one-year option? And that way, you know, all the pricing is laid out and ready to go. So once, once they do kind of figure out what scenario works best, you know, all, all the groundwork is already there for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does the, which carries more weight in a deal, the master or the publishing? Or is that song dependent? They come to they say, I want, let's just say, for example, I just have in my head, um, I forget the name of the song by the Rascals. It's a beautiful morning. And that's like the perfect start to a coffee commercial. Oh, such a great ad song. Yeah. Do they need, yeah. Do they need that master or can they come to you? Let's say you had the publishing. We need that song. We don't need that master. Then you can get a re-record done or something. How, how yeah. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, you know, uh, regardless of what recording they use, the, the publisher is always involved because it, it's the, you know, the actual copyright. And then, you know, it, it all depends on kind of the negotiating power of, of the recording artist. And, you know, with that, I think includes their recognizability and cultural impact and, and things like that. But yeah, I would say in, in commercials, it's extremely common to use a recognizable song, but maybe have a lesser known or indie artist cover it um, and in that way, uh, you know, typically you're waiving uh, MFN. And MFN is the term most favored nations, which if you're, if you're quoting for a song, you say MFN with the master, uh, basically going with whoever provides the, the highest fee. Uh, but if it's, in a, if it's a case where it's a well-known song and an unknown recording artist doing the master, chances are they'll waive MFN. So the publishing will come in you know, at a higher fee 
And then the master will usually come in at, you know, a fraction of that, maybe, you know, 50% or 20% of the master. Ultimately, it, it kind of depends on the situation and, and it's very case by case. So, I mean, the, the publisher is always involved and ultimately there is some flexibility with what recording you use, but that does in the end still go back to the songwriters. Um, and, you know, there are some songwriters that prefer uh, to use the original master. So a good example for us is, uh, you know, we have the ACDC catalog and like historically, you know, that band, they've just been known for really being uncompromising, you know, in their style and their, in their aesthetic and also in their treatment of, of their music. So, uh, you know, time after time, if people come to us asking about, you know, doing a cover of an ACDC song without even, you know, going back to the approval party, we basically just shut it down right at the beginning because they're one of those artists that, you know, for using their song, it needs to be their original master. Where, uh, you know, I know historically, think about the Beatles and, you know, songs and Beatles commercials, I would say generally those are covers. And I think in some of those cases, you know, Beatles songs can be so expensive and, uh, you know, perhaps the agencies prefer to do it that way. But I think there also may be something with the states, you know, not wanting to license the masters uh, for, for ads. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it really just kind of depends. But the thing that I love, especially about advertising, uh, there's, gosh, I, I can't remember who said this, but there's a great, a great quote that I always think of, uh, that advertising is the process of making the new familiar and making the familiar new. And I feel like when you're creating a new version of a song, a known song, you're doing exactly that. You're, you're taking a known quantity uh, that consumers, you know, are familiar with, and there's a recognizability and a cachet to it and, and a message, but then you're adding something new. And, you know, I think a lot of brands like to put their own spin on things. So you're, you know, taking a song people know, but you're making it unique to your, your own project. So you're making the familiar new and, and the new familiar. If you guys do publishing like that with just publishing, do you, typically give uh like one of your own bands to do the cover whenever we can yeah um you know that's a great way to service some of our our indie artists and and up-and-coming folks um but a lot of times too you know agencies or brands they may also have a certain idea of who they want to do a cover there's also you know so many great music houses out there music houses are essentially i guess they were known as you know jingle houses you know uh, in, a, in a previous era, but you know, these are recording studios that specialize in creating content for commercials and there's so many great ones out there. So a lot of times an agency may go to a music house to, you know, make a cover. So it, it really does vary, but whenever we can, we, we love suggesting, you know, our artists do those covers and that's always a great conversation. I mean, the great thing about uh, being a music publisher and talking to artists is, you know, if, if we are meeting with new artists, one of the first things, we tell them if, you know, they want to get more active in the sync world, we say, all right, here's a list, you know, here's 50 songs of ours that we control. They get licensed all the time. You know, we're always looking for new covers of, of these songs. So, you know, I, I think it's a great way to just serve old copyrights and, and to engage, you know, new musicians and really kind of get them going in, in the sync world. I, I, I feel like it's such a great entry point. Gotcha. 
Wasn't John Leffler who runs BMG, at least the New York office, wasn't his start? Didn't he do a lot of jingle work? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I, and, uh, you know, in that world, he's, he's a legendary figure. Um, he was at Gray Advertising, gosh, I think for well over a decade. And, and, you know, the person who came after him, Josh Rabinowitz, who was also, you know, very, very famous in, in his own right, once the ad industry focused more towards licensing and made a little bit of a shift away from jingles. But yeah, it's, it's really great having John Leffler head up our New York office because he knows that world. You know, he's worked in that world. He, he understands it. He understands uh, the need to, you know, crank out a demo in, you know, 24 hours notice and uh, just kind of that whole world. And, and I think he also understands how great of an opportunity, you know, those types of things are for up and coming artists and, you know, giving them the opportunity to do a cover and, and create for campaigns. So that, that's really great. Do you ever see like indie artists break because of a commercial spot, like a really good commercial spot that just blows an indie artist up? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm trying to think, as far as things we've worked on recently, uh, there's this amazing artist we have uh, on the label side and then also on the publishing side called Elephant Heart. Uh, and it's a band started by this guy, Jason Evigan. He was a pop writer, uh, but was really interested in you know, his own project and, and doing his own thing. But, you know, wasn't really a known quantity. And, and as a writer, he's, you know, known and respected in the, the pop writing community, but not necessarily a forward-facing artist. So uh, recently, one of his songs, which was, you know, a relatively unknown song, ended up being the song for Apple's uh, AirPods campaign, which was at the end of last year. And, you know, it was one of those videos where as soon as the video dropped on YouTube, I think in the first day, you know, it had like something close to 20 million views or something like that. And then, you know, you go to the band's YouTube page for their other videos and, you know, you look at the comments section and it says, you know, Apple brought me here. Apple brought me here. I heard this song from AirPods. You know, love this song, love this spot. And, you know, I think for this band, that, that was a, a stepping stone, you know, in kind of the, the incremental growth and kind of getting them to that next level. And, you know, it, it's usually a combination of things. It could be, you know, a big sync uh, coinciding with, with a tour or, you know, an album review. It, it's kind of just a, another piece in the marketing puzzle. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like as far as big artists, and this isn't on the advertising side, but, you know, I, I, I think that Lizzo Truth Hurts song, that's such a good example of that, you know, since she got on the Netflix show, a two-year-old song all of a sudden getting on the charts, being nominated, you know, for, the, for a Grammy and, and just really skyrocketing. Uh, and I, I feel like in her case, she had all of the other pieces of the puzzle kind of ready to go. And then that was kind of like the last, the last thing that kind of helped her, you know, skyrocket. And I would say too, you know, a, a great thing for ads, um, which, it, you know, for, for better and worse, depending on the ad is, you know, if a song is in a movie or a TV show, you know, you'll hear it once, unless it's the theme song, then I guess you, you hear it a lot. But if it's in a film, you'll probably watch the film once or twice. Whereas an ad, you know, just the frequency of it, uh, you're just going to hear that song all the time. And, you know, that can be really great for an up and coming artist. And, you know, I, I think as music listeners, sometimes you hear a song and the first time it doesn't, 
doesn't really click in your ears and then you hear it, you know, the third time, fourth time, then maybe the fifth time, you know, it catches you by surprise and something clicks. And I think that's the great part about a great song and an ad is, you know, you hear it a couple times, it becomes familiar and then, you know, something kind of clicks. Marconi, this is either the second or the third time that we've had that similar discussion. Because, uh, Charlie, we've talked with other sync people and agency people recently, and oh. they've talked about the idea of you can't just play something once. Right. People, you know, you need. Yeah. Was, when I was in radio, it was the rule of seven. We talked to somebody last week who mentioned yeah. that it was number 14 or something, but yeah, 13, 14. getting hit with it. Wow. So, uh, yeah, for it to work. But in, in terms of other artists that were broken, not so much broken, but if you go back, go back to 99, Sting was having trouble getting on the radio. He had a new song out called Desert Rose and did a famous Jaguar commercial where his payment was, I'm, uh, I think his payment was just put my song in this commercial and give me a Jaguar or something. But other than that, they mm-hmm. that commercial to death and because he, he was in an age where they wouldn't put him on radio, that song became a hit song on the radio because it was played so much on the commercial and then you too uno chose tres catorce yeah vertigo yeah yeah um they couldn't get on the radio and they can't get on the radio to this day you know with new stuff they use the apple commercial and that turned that song into a hit as well so it's it's not just new artists getting broken it's old artists trying to reinvigorate their careers to a degree Right. And, and yeah, I feel like in the late 90s, the Sting example and uh, the Nick Drake, Pink Moon. Pink Moon, right. So I feel like those, those two syncs, I, I feel like really laid the groundwork for kind of the, you know, the, the modern sync world that, that we exist in now. And I, I, the thing that I love about the Nick Drake one is the idea of really the commercial as, as a curator and really finding this, this old dusty gem of a song that maybe music fans you know, knew about, but, you know, popular culture isn't aware of it. And, and for me personally, that's, that's one of the things I really love about the BMG catalog is there's just so many amazing, weird, old songs that I've never seen the light of day. And, and, you know, a big part of what I love about Sync is being able to find those opportunities for, for those songs, like, like the, the Nick Drake, uh, then I remember uh, Mr. Roboto by Styx was another one that was in oh, yeah. another uh, Volkswagen commercial in the early 2000s, I think. Oh, yeah. And, and case in point, I think right around that time, you know, I was maybe late teens or early 20s. And that was the first time I heard Mr. Roboto from that commercial. Right. And then I think I downloaded it illegally on Napster right after that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that was music discovery. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go right. on. Yeah. Uh, what do you do with an artist such as um, Bruce, who doesn't want to do anything with advertising? Oh, sure, really, yeah. And you really think there's a great song there that's just going to bring revenue and be used for years and years and years, but the artist really doesn't want to bastardize themselves. Oh, yeah. And, and in our case, you know, I, I think there are a few artists on the BMG roster that had the same stance. They say no commercials. But two, two that come to mind are uh, Nick Cave. And mm-hmm. I only know that because I, I saw him do his town hall tour recently and someone asked about commercials and he said, I will never put my song in a commercial. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was glad, and, and it was funny because I was in the room with a couple ad agency clients and we all sort of looked at each other and we're like, all right, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And then I, I know, uh, you know, another one is, is Tom Waits as well. I think he's mm. famously, uh, you know, been against his music being used in commercials as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, in those cases, you know, we, we totally respect their, their wishes and, uh, you know, there's other ways for their music to get out there and, and we totally respect that. Um, and, you know, I, I will say too, uh, you know, the timeline for artists, you know, there's always ups and downs in any artist's career. And, you know, sometimes we see maybe there's a certain artist they're not interested in sync and, you know, sometimes, you know, that's kind of a luxury, um, you know, it could mean perhaps you don't need the money or you're doing well enough and the, the songs, you know, stand on their own. So you don't really need any of that extra revenue or exposure. Uh, but, you know, there's always ups and downs. So throughout the years, I, actually a, a good example uh, that we dealt with recently was we have the, the Kings of Leon catalog, um, you know, a little over 10 years ago, they had that massive, massive song use somebody which was you know it was just ubiquitous you, you couldn't escape it uh and i think for for that reason and and you know probably various reasons uh that we were respectful of you know the band didn't want that song being licensed for commercials and you know so so we understood that you know we would never pitch the song but you know in these ongoing relationships with art artists it's always good to kind of check back in and you know, uh, so a few months ago when, when COVID kicked in and, you know, we we're realizing, okay, well, so many artists, you know, they can't tour, they're not getting the same revenue streams. Uh, so, you know, we had a few of these conversations with different artists and songwriters saying, hey, we know, you know, this, this song's off the table right now. And specifically with, uh, with You Somebody, you know, I, I think lyrically that, that song could work so perfectly and, and you know, an ad about, you know, people helping one another and really, you know, needing and using the, the help of, of each other and, you know, medical professionals and all those things. So we really, you know, went to them with this idea of thinking, well, you know, we just wanted to revisit your stance on the song. We think given the current climate, you know, it could work really well for ads. And we were kind of expecting a, a no, uh, just because that had always been the answer. And, and surprisingly, we heard back from management and they said, you know what? give it a shot, uh, start pitching it, see if it lands, you know, this is, you know, it's all still subject to approval by the band and the creative and the fees, but, you know, go out there and, and give it a shot. And so in the past few months, you know, that's, that's a song that we're now able to pitch if it's something where we feel like it's a good creative fit and something that really would, would service the band. And granted, you know, we haven't landed anything yet, but, you know, it, it's great to see songs that were previously seen as off the table you know, now become open for consideration, which is great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, do, you, do you ever find conflicts like that, trying to please the music supervisor versus like BMG's label side of things and their artists? Because it sounded like earlier you said that you're always trying to do the best for the supervisor. But then of course, you know, if it doesn't work with one of your artists, then it just can't. Like if they ever request a specific song or something like that. Yeah, right. So it, it's very challenging. Uh, there's just, you know, certain certain signings or, or certain things we have on our roster that, you know, it just doesn't work for ads. And, and actually, one of the nice things about that is uh, the criteria for a song to work in a commercial. It's a, it's a little more, I think, definitive and cut and dry than it is for films and television because, it, you know, I feel like generally if you're thinking about music and commercials, you know, for the most part, 
it's a little more feel good or positive, uh, not, you know, not as negative, not as dark, but you think about film trailers or particular film scenes where, you know, that music is perfect. So I think there's certainly some releases and some bands where just the second you hear it, you, you just know, you know, this just won't work for a commercial. Um, so then, you know, in those cases, what we do is, you know, the people from our film and television team, you know, we'll throw it over to them. We'll say, hey, check out this song or this, this album. You know, this might be more of a TV related release. So we, we try to service things whenever we can. But I think in the ad world, there's, you know, a good amount of things that just won't, they just won't work. <laughs> Are you finding certain genres working uh, better or any trending? For example, hip hop is so big right now in terms of the popular culture and yeah. charts. Are you finding brands more open to using hip hop, even though hip hop lyrics are, uh, it's a stereotype, but have a lot more uh, bad words in that. You know, there are a lot more edits that would need to be made. Uh, is hip hop har harder than, you know, classic rock, for example, to get into commercials? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, um, you know, hip hop is, I, I feel like, you know, that, that drives, that drives all, all culture. I, I feel like it, it's, you know, there's really not a more significant genre. Uh, and with, with sync and specifically with advertising, it's interesting, um, you know, as far as aesthetics and kind of styles, you know, I think in the last maybe eight to 10 years, the general BPM of, of hip hop songs has, has slowed down. I think ever since, uh, you know, trap music uh, became extremely popular, uh, you know, a lot of those BPMs you think about in the 90s, usually if you're looking at like a drum machine or something, it was usually like songs in like mid to late 90s BPMs, like, you know, a little more head nodding where, you know, I, I think songs in general are a little bit slower in rap. So that's the challenge we have uh, because normally brands are requesting, you know, more, a little more tempo and, and a little more energy. So, uh, you know, I think that hip hop things that work really well for us are the ones that have tempo. There's a great example. This isn't one of our songs, but there's a song that came out, I think in the past year or so, it was uh, De La Soul and DJ Shadow. The song was called Rocket Fuel. And uh, if you listen to the song, like super fast tempo, uh, has some throwback, like soul, you know, horn section stuff in it, some electronic elements. And I feel like that really became the song of the moment as far as brands just referencing, you know, okay, we want something that sounds like this. Um, and there was such a scramble as far as trying to replace that song. And, you know, for, for a good stretch, there were multiple different music supervisors reaching out to us, trying to find a song that, that had all these elements. Um, and, you know, I think the other challenge with, with hip hop too is, you know, if there's samples or just a lot of different writers, Sometimes, you know, that, that can create more work for the clearance person having to track down all the different writers and samples and, and things like that. So, you know, I think the stuff that, that works really great for us is if uh, it's a hip hop song that has, you know, good energy, uh, relatively easy to clear, and, you know, maybe has some, some elements of kind of organic instrumentation or maybe, you know, some sort of throwback element to it uh i feel like horns are always good hip-hop songs that have horns in them I, I i think for editors 
horns are always a nice kind of punctuation to, to edit to. Um, so yeah, I, I would say those, those are kind of the things we had asked for in, in the hip hop realm. But yeah, I, I feel like every, you know, seven years or so, it always kind of shifts and, and changes. And I'm, I'm curious to see where, you know, where things will be going in, you know, the next five years or so. But it'd be interesting if, uh, if the tempos pick back up. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great for Sync. <laughs> um, do, do you guys see a lot of, I noticed on your, on your catalog for BMG Sync site that you have a lot of international syncs like most of your recent ones have been international so do you think that is like most of your sync revenue or it's really starting to kick up yeah so uh you know for for sync i think the u.s the u.s market is is the biggest driver as far as different territories um but one of the great things about bmg is uh we have sync departments you know in offices all over the world in you know spain brazil France, uh, Germany, uh, and we all communicate regularly. We actually, and, and I think this is one of the things that makes BMG really unique, is all the different international sync people, we all communicate regularly and, and share music. If there's a certain release in Spain, you know, they'll make sure we have it here in the US. Um, and, you know, typically if it's a worldwide deal, you know, that'll be more money uh, for the sync because you're, you're granting wider rights and ultimately, you know, eating up more more equity for the song and and um you know you're, you're charging a higher fee for that but sometimes you know we'll see syncs for specific territories uh or certain regions or even in the u.s we'll see you know maybe a song will run and it's regional maybe it's you know, connecticut new jersey and new york something like that so ultimately you know that that would be a lower fee um but yeah, I would say on an international level, uh, that's one of BMG's strong suits is really just having this this international catalog. And, and one other cool thing uh, for us is is in the U.S. having these great international bands. Uh, you know, so many of them. There's nothing more they want than to get a sync, you know, on a American TV show or American commercial. Um, so. That's great for us. Usually, we'll, we'll have a lot of flexibility with those international artists because, uh, you know, they just really want the exposure and are more open to lower fees and things like that. I want to ask about the the Aces thing that I saw on LinkedIn. The Paul Carrick's "How Long" it was a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just unbelievable to me that it was so much longer after it came out. Like, how do you see a lot of I don't know, like big stretch of time with, with passive income like that, like something really resurfacing. Yeah. And, and with that one in particular, it was such a great story because it actually put that song back on the charts, uh, which is, you know, the amazing thing about sync and what we were saying uh, earlier with a commercial running over and over and over again. Uh, and, you know, I remember talking to my parents after that ad and they're like, Oh, we, we turn on the TV. All we see is that commercial. Um, so, you know, I, I think in that case it really helped, but yeah, you know, with that particular commercial, uh, and with this particular Amazon campaign, they wanted, they wanted a song, you know, that obviously worked with the creative and, you know, it, it, I don't know if you've seen the spot, but it's basically, you know, uh, someone's partner, husband or boyfriend getting caught cheating, but, you know, cheating on 
a show that they were binging on and basically, you know, sneaking ahead on, on an episode. Uh, so creatively, you know, they, they reached out to us and, you know, this is one of my favorite parts of the job is, you know, they said, all right, look for songs about, you know, infidelity, cheating, doing someone, you know, doing someone wrong, you know, tricking them, lying to them. Um, and kind of just knowing Amazon and knowing what they were looking for, you know, we sort of had the sense that they wanted, you know, a, a song that maybe people know or have heard on the radio, but not, you know, not a massive song and not an obvious song. Uh, and, you know, for that song in particular, lyrically, it, it's such a specific theme. Uh, you know, the song says, you know, how long has this been going on? Like, you know, uh, referring to infidelity, which side, side tangent, that song was actually written by Paul Carrick, the singer of Ace, about another band member uh, auditioning. The bass <laughs> player, I think. Band. Yeah. The bass player was uh, trying to play with another band or something. Right. Which is also the, the ultimate irony because, you know, Paul Carrick, he, he's been in, you know, millions of bands and, <laughs> you know, he, he himself is, is guilty of that crime. But uh, um, it was just one of those songs. And, and for me personally, I, I just always love that song. And, you know, so rarely uh, can I pitch it just because it, it's so specific. Usually if, if someone's working on a brief where, <laughs> you know, they need songs about cheating or infidelity, it's great for that. So it was really just that perfect opportunity of having, having the right song. And, you know, I, I think one of the important things whenever, you know, we're hiring people and junior people on the team, uh, you know, I always think it's really important to have a good understanding or, or at least be really interested in uh, this old music and knowing where stuff came from. And, you know, it's great to be up on current stuff. And especially for me now that I have kids and I'm, I'm more out of touch <laughs> every day. But, you know, I, I think for people coming up and getting their start, I, I really can't emphasize enough, like just reading books about the music history and really just, you know, going through different decades, different genres. And even if it's a genre where, you know, never really drew you in, I, I feel like it's so important to just be a little bit curious and, uh, you know, just, just kind of check stuff out all, all the time. We always just get the most random requests and, uh, genre-wise, it can be all over the place. So, so you never know when, like, that random little little nugget uh, or a random gem might might be the perfect thing. And and you know, for our job, it's really knowing the catalog as well as possible, so that you know when those opportunities come up, we, we know what to send them. Um, I see. So obviously, there's a lot of passive income with commercials more because of just you know how they play over and over and over again. But how does like that recurring revenue work with film and TV spots? Is it like, I mean, I guess if it's like a Netflix thing, then however many times the movie is played, but if it's like not, if it's like buying DVDs or are movies usually a flat fee? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And, and uh, that's, I, I'm not as well versed in, in that world, or at least haven't worked in it in, I don't know, the past eight years or so. But normally, you know, if a song gets synced into a, you know, a movie or a TV show, typically it's, it's for perpetuity, uh, meaning that, you know, as long as that, that film exists, uh, you know, they'll have those rights. Uh, to, to that particular song. But then in advertising, you usually see, you know, 
shorter terms for sure. No, no, one, no one's ever doing perpetuity in, in you know, commercials that, that you see on TV or anything. Um, so normally you'll lay out the terms and a lot of times you know, it can be six months, a year. Sometimes you see two years, although that, that's a little more rare. Um, and yeah, and, and when you're doing the deal, you're, you're putting in options um, where, okay, this, the commercial runs for a year, but we have the option to renew it, you know, for another six months at this fee, uh, you know, depending on how well the spot does. And, and for us, I mean, that's been an amazing source of, of passive income. But once you do the deal, you know, it keeps renewing and renewing and renewing, uh, which is, is, you know, just amazing to be able to still, you know, bring in revenue while, while you're sleeping, basically. But I'm trying to think of a few recent ones for us. There's uh, the brand Cintas. Uh, uh, good example. They use the song, uh, oh, geez, I'm blanking on it. Uh, it's, it's from our, our ARC catalog, basically an old blues song. Um, every year, it, it just keeps renewing and renewing and renewing, which is great. Um, and, you know, just, just a really nice way to continue to generate passive income. Another, another song recently that's been renewed a lot is um, the song, oh gosh, uh, Ooh La La by Goldfrap for, uh, for a fashion brand. And we keep seeing that renewed. Uh, and also too, you know, in light of COVID and just people not being able to film content and shoot new stuff, that's also been, you know, a viable option for a lot of brands and agencies is just to continue to run commercials rather than make new ones. And, and maybe they'll continue to run it and, and tweak it a little bit. But for us, you know, it means they're still using the song so we can, we can still charge a fee for it. Uh, clearances. I used to work at the Universal Music Group and we did a lot of licensing work uh, back in the day when we were making custom CDs for brands or downloading campaigns for brands. And one thing that we would do, we would uh, work with our catalog or, or people who represented different parts of the catalog and try and get a lot of pre-cleared music so that we would not need to go get approvals from anybody. We would know, we had a lot of Motown catalog, for example. We would know we could use this Temptations track. We could just put it on and not have to get approval from anybody. Right. You try and have any catalog that is pre-cleared for both maybe the master and publishing or just publishing, whatever it is, just so you can get this done really fast if you need to turn on a dime and get, a, get an approval in, in hours. Do you have anything like that or do you try to put that together? Right, yeah, that, that's a great question. And you know, in the advertising world, just the turnaround time is, is so crucial. So yeah, we, we definitely do have those things. And, and I think in our case, you know, that's, that's usually something we, we tend to keep internally, but we have all that ready to go uh, when, when people need it. So it could be, you know, maybe there's a song where we have the master and the publishing and we know they're okay with any fees and they'll basically approve anything. You know, we, we have those ready to go. Um, but yeah, it, it really does depend on, on the artist. And like you were saying, you know, with the Motown stuff and not, not needing approvals. Uh, ultimately, it depends on, on, you know, the deal that you sign and some artists, you know, maybe it, it's an old deal from decades ago where, you know, approval for sync wasn't in their contract. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it does depend. Uh, but we, we do have that, that stuff ready to go at, you know, the, the drop of a hat if, if people need the, the quick, easy, clear stuff. Um, and another thing we have too, just 
being a, a music publisher is, you know, here's all the songs where we control 100% publishing uh, just because, you know, so many songs, there's different songwriters and publishing splits and, and all those things. So, yeah, we, we, we do have all the, the quick and easy, ready-to-go songs, uh, you know, ready to rock when people need them. Um, and I guess just as some, I guess, final thoughts here, I want to ask you what you think is are some good areas for criteria uh, to get into the admin sync team or the creative sync team. And I, you could touch on your start and how you went, you know, from Warner to, to, to what was it, to Spirit, to, to BMG and how you went through that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think when you're getting your start, you know, the, the internships are, are so useful and, and so key. And, you know, it, it is pretty, pretty awful, uh, you know, that it's essentially this, this work you're doing for, you know, no, no money. Uh, and this is just one of those industries where that's kind of become the norm, which is, you know, kind of, kind of problematic, uh, especially now, just because, you know, it's so challenging with the economy. Uh, I, I know at, at BMG, interns, interns are paid, which, which I am very happy with that. But I, I've talked to so many people where they're in school, uh, they want to keep interning, but, you know, they need a, they need a job. They need, to, they need to pay the bills. Um, so I, I, I think it's really crucial to find a way to, to just stay in the game. And, you know, maybe it means, you know, interning, days a week and then one day you know you work your job or maybe you're working at night and you know it, it, it's really tough uh but you know I, I think kind of just staying in the game and building these relationships is is just super key uh you know i i think coming from a music program uh and you know especially one that's as highly esteemed as yours you know i think that goes such a long way um because recruiters and people at music companies they see there is a genuine interest and commitment to learning about the music industry and not some kind of fickle like, oh, I like music, I want to have a cool music job. Like, you know, they see that these people are really committed to it. So, you know, I, I think that definitely helps. Um, I think in the past, you know, I, I've always suggested, you know, kind of physically putting yourself in, in the right geographic place where there are more opportunities. But we're in such a weird time right now where I, you know, that's not really practical and relevant and you know it might not be for for some point in time but um you know i, I used to say you know if, if you're in la or, or new york or nashville you know just as a pure numbers game there's going to be more more people you can meet more jobs you can interview for more shows more all of those things but uh and you know hopefully that that comes back but but we'll see but you know i, I think that's very useful as well and uh you know i i think what you're doing right now is, it, you know, is amazing. Just reaching out to people, doing those informational interviews, things like that, that, that really goes a long way. And, you know, I think in the music industry, so many people got their start as interns and, you know, eating shit for, <laughs> for years. Uh, I, I know I definitely did. And, you know, almost everyone's been through that and everyone wants to, to help. You know, I, I, I sympathize with, with you and, uh, you know, so many other people finishing music business programs and then, you know, getting into the job market. And I know in my case, um, I did a music business program. It was the master's program at NYU. 
And I literally graduated, you know, right, right as the economy, you know, took a huge dump in, in 2008. So uh, I remember being really, really challenged by that and, and just not seeing tons of opportunities and, you know, applying for jobs and looking online, that, that's almost a full-time job in and of itself. But, you know, I, I think the people who are really committed and, and really passionate, you know, you kind of you stick with it and you try different things. And I think one of the things that has helped me that we talked about kind of on the beginning of the call was, you know, also kind of focusing on these, these kind of hard skills. Um, you know, in, in my case, it was really focusing on sales as, as kind of a, a more tangible discipline and reading, I don't know, reading, you know, sales books and, and things like that and really, really applying it. But that could be any number of disciplines, whether, you know, it's, um, I don't know, skills with, you know, artist skills like, like Photoshop or, or, you know, spreadsheets and, and numbers and accounting and, and things like that. I, I find that some of those different skills that you're able to bring to the table really, really do help in the long, long run as well. I, you know, I, I feel like so many people want these cool creative jobs and, you know, there's, there's so much work that goes in behind the scenes and, you know, uh, I feel so fortunate to work at this amazing company at BMG and being able to pitch music. But ultimately, you know, I, at the end of the day, it's, it, it's a sales gig, um, you know, like, like anything else, like, like selling, uh, you know, medical equipment or something. I mean, granted it, you know, it's, it's music and it's a very cool product, but at the end of the day, you know, I treat it, uh, as, as a sales gig, which, which I think has, has helped me as far as just general practices, as far as, you know, client management and, new business and all those things. Right. Yeah. I, I have a couple internships under my belt already. And I was just curious about like, you know, what would be a good aspect to see on a resume? Like if I haven't had any sync internships or any experience in sync already, like what would I put on a portfolio or something? I, yeah. Well, and, and I think most people understand that, you know, when you're doing internships and when you're in school, the best thing to do is, you know, try out different stuff and, and see, what you like, what you're good at, what captures your, your interest. Um, so, you know, I, I think if it's in the music sphere and it's music related, I, you know, I, I think that's fine. Um, you know, in my case, I remember doing it an A&R internship early on and just kind of thinking that's what I was going to do. And I don't know, tried it out and realized that I didn't really like it and kind of sucked at it. And uh, it just wasn't the right fit. And then, kind of through accident learned about this whole magical world of, of music publishing. And actually to backtrack, I know you mentioned you spoke with uh, downtown music publishing and I mean, they're an amazing company. That was the, the first company that hired me when I was an intern. Um, and I was, you know, going to school at night, interning like three days a week and then had another job that, you know, actually paid money uh, maybe two days a week. And, you know, I really approached that internship as uh, you know, how do I, you know, how do you make yourself indispensable and, uh, you know, going above and beyond the call of duty to just be, be useful and be of service to everybody. And in that case, it actually turned into the opportunity and granted it was still for no money, but they said, okay, well, you know, we can actually pay you if, if you come in, you know, every day. Uh, so that was kind of the, the start there. Um, and yeah, I, I think just, just getting out there, talking to people, um, trying out different things. And when I was at downtown, uh, when I first started, you know, I, I really knew nothing about sync. 
and then from there, I, I sort of learned like, hey, there's there's this whole creative element to this world where you know you're making playlists and, and pitching songs, and uh, you know one one goal that you know I, I think has gotten better is just raising awareness of the sync world and the sync community for for people that don't know about it. Um, you know, I, I think we have seen some progress with, you know, there now being a, an Emmy Award for music supervision. I think that's that's helped. And I, I think in general, I think more people, you know, maybe know what a music supervisor is. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's there's room for growth. And, and actually that's kind of a goal of mine as, as well is to, you know, just speak with more kids either at the college or high school level and just let them know that, you know, there are, these great jobs in the music industry that exist outside of, um, you know, signing bands. I, I feel like when I was, you know, a teenager, I, I thought A&R was the only job and it, and my vision of it was kind of this 1980s version of the music industry of uh, just dudes with cigars, you know, telling people uh, <laughs> they're going to be famous, but you know, there, there's so much other great stuff there. There was a lot of great stuff here. So we need to end this now. Because oh, man. like Joe DiMaggio on a high note. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, guys, thank you so much. I mean, it, it's such an honor to do this. I was scrolling through, you know, the, the amazing, iconic uh, <laughs> titans of industry you guys, you guys have interviewed for this. So I, I feel humbled and, and honored to, you know, to be on here with you guys. So thank you so much. And, and Tyler, uh, any, other, any other questions? Uh, feel free to hit me up, uh, you know, resume advice. If you're, if you're applying anywhere, uh, you know, I can, you know, try to put in a good word and, and things like that as well. Absolutely. Thank great. you so much. Yeah. I would love to keep in touch. Great. That's great. Charles Emerson Davis. There we go. Chaz. Thanks so much guys. This was really fun. Hey. I really enjoyed it. Thanks Charlie. Appreciate it. Take care. Take care. All right guys. Have a good weekend. You Take too. Care. Bye. Marconi, that was a good one. Yes, very good. Yeah, yes. Buchanan, you did well. Very well, Buchanan. Yeah, this is good for you. So, Marconi, thank you very much, Dr. Esteban, for being. Yeah. So, for those listening right now, thank you for listening to Music is 101 and More. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp, along with Dr. Esteban. Marconi Emeritus. That is right. And we say at the end of every show, not hello. No. no. At the end of every show, we say, Dr. Esteban. Adios. Adios! Adios! Yeah.
Yeah, you might fool in my head again Manipulating when I leave you You leave me right back in Asking when I'll be back in your bed again Wow, I didn't notice we were moving faster than just friends Losing control of the situation You losing hope, I'm losing patience 